It felt like every team that was supposed to win this week didn't. Colin Kaepernick might actually be back, and the Miami Dolphins aren't the last team in the AFC East anymore. Plus, stick around to the very end to hear mine and Adam's three favorite offenses in the NFL right now. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. So, one of the big storylines, we've covered this a a couple times over the course of the year, uh, is just the Washington Redskins debacle of a season, I guess. So, we've talked about their quarterbacks a couple times, and now they've committed to Dwayne Haskins for the rest of the year. So, I mean, it's not really much of a surprise that they want to test out what their future quarterback is going to be like, and since they invested a first-round pick in him, it makes sense that they're actually spending time assessing him as their future as opposed to Colt McCoy or Case Keenum, who they also have there. But he has not played very well at all, and they really haven't given him any chances to succeed. He's come in a couple times as um, like just being thrown into it. I, I think of the Giants game that I think it was his first appearance in an NFL game, and he threw three picks in the second half of that game when they're getting absolutely demolished by the Giants. Um, Daniel, what are your thoughts? I, I, I think that they're going to... like. We both know that they ruin quarterbacks in Washington. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, realistically, they should have probably just started Dwayne Haskins as soon as they realized the season was going downhill. You got to just give your rookie some playing time. And is he looking great? No, not at all. Pretty much the opposite, actually. But he was considered by most people to be the best or the second best passer in this draft. So we got to give him some time. I think we've become a little bit too quick to judge quarterbacks early on. Um I mean, even right with Baker Mayfield recently, I felt this. I'm like, oh, last year I thought he was, you know, the next big thing. And now in my mind, I'm like, oh, he sucks. It's like, let's just give these rookies time to actually. The sophomore slump. Yeah, like in, let's yeah. give the rookies time to figure out what they are. So I, I'm rooting for Haskins. I hope that these few starts can really give him a feel for the NFL. And, and he'll come out next year quite a bit stronger than he was. Let's hope. Yeah, because his first three games that he played in were not too great. He had 284 yards passing, zero touchdowns and four interceptions. So um, I, I think both of us here are, are fans of him and hope that he, uh, yeah, he eventually does well. And we know he has Terry McLaurin there and not much else. So let's hope the two of them can, can use that relationship they had. They both went to Ohio State. Hmm. So yeah, if they, can, if they can continue that into the pros, that would be interesting to see if both of them can succeed um, for the remainder of their rookie seasons. Staying in that division, um, another big story from, from this week was uh, a guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, Brandon Brooks, signing a four-year extension worth $56.2 million. Um, so, again, we're, we're big advocates that the offensive line is arguably the most important position on the field or the most position, most important position group on the field. Um, Brandon Brooks has, I mean, you could argue he that he's the one best of, guard in football. Yeah, you could argue that he's the best guard in football. I saw that comment quite a few times when this article came out, or, or sorry, not this article, but this news came out. Um, so he played for Houston and Philadelphia over the course of his career. He started every game since 2013. He's only taken one holding call this year. And if you look at the ranks for the offensive line, uh, specifically for the mid to guard position, so like the center and the guards for Philadelphia, they're actually ranked fourth in the league, um, largely because of him and, and his ability within that offensive line. Yeah, I mean, you can't fault Philly for this. It's, it's definitely a big deal. Four years, 56.2 mil. It's a lot of money committed, but they have a young QB who they want to keep upright. They have some running backs who have the skill that that if they're blocked well for, they can pick up yards. So I think it's a good signing for Philly. Lock this guy up for, for the foreseeable future and really keep that offensive line anchored on a talent like his. Absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. Like they, they have 
a team that they can build around a quarterback like Carson Wentz and it starts at the offensive line position to really establish a strong offense so um yeah hopefully that helps Philadelphia going forward and helps keep Carson Wentz healthy we know he's had some trouble staying healthy in the past um some other guys who are unfortunately fighting the injury bug right now um so Marshawn Lattimore the the top corner for the Saints he he may be sidelined for a little bit so um I, th- I believe it was a hamstring issue that he suffered in this last game against Atlanta, but he's been having a pretty good season up until this point. Yeah, Lattimore is a heck of a corner, and his, the impact of his injury was felt almost immediately. I think the play after he went out, Mike Evans scored a long touchdown on his... They, they played Atlanta. Or, sorry, uh, Julio Jones, yes. <laughs> um, Julio Jones went for a long touchdown on like the play after he got injured. So he is that level of talent. He shuts down number one receivers, and, and for a team that is kind of fighting to be considered the best team in the league. That's a, a big shot and hamstring injuries can linger. So hopefully he'll be ready to go soon. Definitely. Cause that defense was starting to look really hot too. And I mean, this week was uh, obviously a large exception, but yeah, that defense is, has been strong and, and will need to be strong for them to make a run. So hopefully he can get back to, to full health and can contribute to that defense again. Um, <laughs> talking about a guy from that same game, Austin Hooper, uh, I believe I saw most recently that he's expected to be out for a month now. Um, that's a big loss for Atlanta. I think he's like one of the, if not the most productive tight end this year. He's in the top three for sure. He has 56 receptions, 608 yards, and six touchdowns on the season. Um, we know with Atlanta shipping off Mohamed Sanu, they've been largely relying on the production of Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and uh, Austin Hooper as well. Yeah, this is like fantasy football. I know that, you know, injuries in fantasy football, you don't want to feel like that's the only reason you care about players, but the tight end position in fantasy already sucks, and this just made it worse. You just lost. I got the guy who I believe is the number one overall tight end in fantasy at the moment, either him or Darren Waller, but uh, it sucks for, for Atlanta. Hooper has always been talked about as maybe that guy who would break out, and this year he was really, really looking like a top three tight end in the NFL, and to lose him, I mean, their season's done. It's not like they're losing out on anything, but... He was a guy who could have developed more, built more of a rapport with Matt Ryan, and next year could have been ready to really have an explosive offense with the the weapons they have. Yeah, and he is only out uh, a month, I believe, is what the speculation is right now. So it'll still give him some time at the end of the year. But agreed, it's um, it's already a tough season for Atlanta, and they didn't need news like this today. So um, definitely a big loss for them. Another team that's feeling the loss of a, a large contributor going down is uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. So. Their defense lost their sack leader right now, who uh, Emmanuel Ogba, if you're not familiar with him. So he was a second-round pick of the Cleveland Browns in 2016. And, yeah, I mean, not necessarily the person you'd expect to be leading the Kansas City Chiefs in sacks, but he's actually got 5.5 sacks on the year, 32 tackles, six tackles for loss, three passes defensed, which is kind of an interesting stat for a defensive lineman, and one forced fumble. So, um, across the board, he's had a pretty good year, and uh, to lose him for the season is obviously a large loss for a team that's um, sort of struggling from a defensive perspective right now. Casey already kind of feels like they're in a meltdown. I mean, they're they're suddenly six and four, um, and unfortunately, even with Patrick Mahomes coming back, they haven't really been able to regain that momentum of looking like a top squad. So this is just another another hit to a team that already is struggling, and I, I wonder if this could just be. You know, I've, I have heard people theorizing that they could melt down and not end up in the playoffs. I don't see that yet, but this could be an injury that, that might start that potentially. Yeah, people were saying the Raiders still have a chance to win that division. And um, I don't know if Daniel feels the same way, but I'm a huge advocate that the Raiders are a good team, regardless of what anyone says. 
Um, I think that they've been in a lot of games that they've lost this year. Obviously, the Packers are an exception to that. They lost quite bad there. But I think the Raiders are a good team, and they could push Kansas City down the stretch for the division um, if Kansas City suffers from more injuries like this. So that is a very impactful injury. Beyond um, injury news, we've yeah. had kind of a crazy week. A lot of stories that, you know, have either been kind of trailing around the NFL this year, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, first of all, I mean, the obvious, Antonio Brown, finally it's come out that he's really not expected to play at all this season. He had a bit of a meltdown on Twitter, eventually deleted the tweet and apologized. But then Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, comes out and says, no, we believe that when Antonio Brown is interviewed by the league, he will be cleared and he'll be on a team within a couple of weeks. So we'll have to see who's right here. Drew Rosenhaus kind of just feels like this weird puppet at this point who's saying everything AB wants him to. But I mean, there's a lot of money in it for him if he can get Antonio Brown a contract. So that makes sense. Yeah, and well, I mean, I don't think teams will be afraid to go out and get Antonio Brown so long as Antonio Brown wants to be in a building and so long as the NFL is uh, willing to work alongside him on that. We know that the Seattle Seahawks were apparently making calls and trying to find out um, what his availability would be and what's going on with uh, the league's investigation. Um, That was before they signed Josh Gordon, but still, I believe that teams that are especially going to make playoff pushes, I feel as though Antonio Brown is is going to be... uh, potentially a hot pickup at the end of the year for one of these teams. Another player who's not been playing this season for a much different reason, uh, Rob Gronkowski obviously retired at the end of last year, and, and there have been some rumblings that maybe he'd come back, and uh, Robert Kraft openly came out, and or no, Robert Kraft didn't. It was a report came out that when Gronk was cleaning out his locker, Robert Kraft told him very clearly, we want you here for a playoff run. We want to see you back on this team. But I think... What he only has, it's something like 16 or 17 days now to uh, decide if he wants to come back or not. I'm still putting my bet on the fact that he is not playing a down this year and most likely never again, but it seems like there's still people holding out hope in that organization. I feel as though Tom has influence with this guy. I feel as though the locker room misses him. I I feel like there's got to be part of him wondering how he can help this team right now. He's obviously had to have seen the, the Patriots' offensive struggles, um, the last couple of weeks, part of me wants to believe that that Gronk is going to come through and uh, and join the Patriots for part of this playoff stretch. Um, I'm not willing to bet on it, but um, it'd be cool to see him back in the league. I think we can agree that Gronk is just a fun player to watch. It's fun to watch him when he's healthy. It's fun to watch him when he's engaged in the game. And um, if it makes sense for him and if it's okay with his body, it would be really cool to see him back in the league, um, especially for the Patriots down the playoff stretch. That would be uh, that'd be quite nice. Um, another player that hasn't played this year, hasn't played in quite a few years. As January a matter of fact. 1st, 2017 was his last game. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with all the Colin Kaepernick news, um, look at Twitter and most likely you'll see something. Uh, most likely if you see anything <laughs> beyond two hours ago, it's not recent anymore. It's not the most up-to-date news. Uh, Daniel, can you give us a little bit more, actually maybe like a chronological order of events over the last 24 hours to explain what the heck is going on here? Yeah, this has got to be one of the strangest timelines I've seen of events in the NFL. Um, so randomly, the news breaks that the NFL has set up a private workout for Colin Kaepernick um, with all 32 NFL teams. Uh, And the report was that all 32 teams were expected to attend and that Colin Kaepernick was going to get a a list of the teams that were coming. And then all of a sudden, uh, news starts breaking that, no, the NFL never told Colin Kaepernick that they were going to give him that list and that there are some teams that won't be coming. And then Colin Kaepernick saying, no, the NFL is lying. They did say they were going to give me that list. So there's a lot of (laughs) he said, she said going on right now. It's a little bit weird 
to me that the NFL has scheduled a private workout for a player. This maybe feels, I don't want to say it's a PR stunt, um, but to a certain extent, it, it kind of feels like one. But I do have to say, like, I felt like Colin Kaepernick was not playing his best football anymore when he was done. Part of the reason he isn't playing anymore was because of his actual productivity. Part of it was because of all the political stuff that I really don't want to get into. But at this point, like, there are teams in the NFL that are desperate, but there also seem to be actually quite a few teams that are pretty set at quarterback or are looking forward to this draft to be set at quarterback. I think it'd be hard-pressed to see him get signed to a team this year. Maybe next year as a backup, but we'll have to see how the seg ends up playing out. Yeah, and, and there were a couple, uh, quite a few teams that actually came out today and said that they would be attending. Um, the few that come to mind are the Lions, I believe, made a statement saying they would be there. Um, the, the Dolphins, I want to say, also said that they would be there. Um, I remember seeing some names as well. The Broncos but, were another one. Yeah, I saw the Falcons and Patriots, I, I recall too. So there was a list of about... I want to say in the neighborhood of between eight and 10 teams that were expected to show up here that made some sort of comment about attending. So good for him to have that level of interest still, and at least to give him a shot. Um, yeah. Teams that even may not necessarily have a quarterback need right now, if an injury occurs, we know that teams like to do their due diligence and make sure that they have the the next man up, uh, you know, in speed dial. So if he can be that guy and get back into the league, that would be obviously a, a big deal for him and for a lot of people that are advocating for him. So um, it'll definitely be a story to watch in the next couple of weeks. Finally, we have another kind of strange story. Uh, former first-round pick Vernon Hargraves was released by Tampa Bay. Was it yesterday or the day before? Um, and reports were that they honestly just cut him because he wasn't working hard enough. And that's pretty crazy for a guy who I think was a first-round pick only in 2016. And he hasn't been great. Actually, he's been quite bad this year. I think Pro Football Focus has him as a 47.7 out of 100, which is pretty brutal. But he's had some good seasons, not first-round pick seasons, but but good enough you would think not to be cut. Um, the Texans have since picked him up. We'll see if maybe he can have a career resurgence there, but uh, that's about it for the news this week. What an NFL Sunday we had. What a week of NFL games like I said at the beginning, it felt like every team that was supposed to win didn't, and we just had upsets for days. So first of all, I think one of the most shocking ones, um, the Atlanta Falcons, the 1-7 and seven Atlanta Falcons, beat the New Orleans Saints, who you might remember, if I think I said this on the podcast, I would say the Saints are the second-best team in football at the moment, and they lost to a terrible Atlanta team. So um, this is what I would say to all Saints fans out there. The Saints are a good team. I would argue they're still one of the best teams in the league. They've been removed off a lot of people's, like a lot of NFL people took them out of the top five for their power rankings. That's such a joke. Um, if you're familiar with NFL football, you know that divisional games are much harder than any other game. If uh, the Saints were to play a one and seven team from the AFC, it would be so much, like it would have been a different game. But it's because they're playing within their division that these games are a lot tougher than schedules would show or than um, records would show. Uh, I, I don't necessarily believe that the Saints have any concern. I think, again, it's just a hard divisional battle. Um, however, the Falcons did sack Breeze six times, uh, so we know that the, the Saints have some injuries on the offensive line. Alvin Kamara touched the ball only 12 times. Uh, he was returning from an injury, but that, that personally was something that I was just baffled by. He's their arguably their second-best offensive weapon behind Michael Thomas, and he touched the ball 12 times. Um, yeah, I, I was just absolutely shocked that their offense functioned the way it did. It just didn't seem, um, yeah, it, it seemed like something was off. Michael Thomas did have 13 receptions, so obviously there's a few times there that 
Kamara wouldn't have gotten the ball because they were giving the ball to Michael Thomas more. But yeah, I was just, uh, I was kind of shocked at the way that the, the Saints offense performed, but I really don't think it's anything that they have to be worried about. Michael Thomas is currently on pace to shatter both the receptions and the receiving yards record in a season. He is just, he's on fire. And yeah, even in a disgusting performance by the Saints, he still looked great. So that's just showing you how good of a player he is. Um, but honestly, if that Falcons-Saints game wasn't the most shocking one of, of this week, it was the Titans beating the Chiefs with Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback. Even with the Chiefs having some really explosive plays, Meikle Hardman looked again, just like a crazy burner who, if you get the ball in his hands, can score. Tyreek Hill was still Tyreek Hill. Mahomes was still Mahomes. But another loss for the Chiefs, who are now sitting at 6-4. and four. So <laughs> Mahomes had 446 yards passing and I believe three touchdowns in this game. On the flip side, Ryan Tannehill had, I believe, 181 yards passing. Derrick Henry had 188 yards rushing. Um, I, I've said on Twitter that as I, as far as I'm concerned, the Chiefs don't have to be concerned. They're still a good football team. And if it wasn't for one key mistake at the end of the game where their holder muffed the ball and ended up throwing it away on fourth down and it was an intentional grounding penalty and it was just a debacle. Um, but if it wasn't for that penalty, I, I think that they still had a good chance to win that game. But I think that there is some defensive weakness that they need to worry about. And I mean, we talked about Emmanuel Ogba being out but they need to really worry about shutting down the run. Um, I heard, uh, again, like when what I was mentioning earlier with Oakland being able to maybe fight Kansas City for this division legitimately, um, because of Josh Jacobs and the force that they have in their running game, there's belief that the, the Raiders really have a chance to do it. Um, their strength is the Chiefs' weakness right now. So the Chiefs' offense is good. They'll compete with most teams just because of their ability to put the ball in the end zone, but their defense is, a, is quite a large concern right now. Derrick Henry just kind of has this thing where he's a second-half monster for some reason, and and he began that this week, yeah, 188 rushing yards, and I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to show that level of, of production throughout the rest of the season. Uh, another big one, the Bills, who going into this game were, oh, goodness, were they? Six and two. Six and two, um, lost to the Browns, who, I mean, everyone has seen have, have been in a total meltdown this year after being a dream team, but the Bills, who everybody kind of was seeing as a, as a real contender in the AFC, now gets knocked down by a, a pretty bad team. And um, quite honestly, I'm sort of predicting a meltdown for them at this point because it, it was ugly. And it, I mean, it was it was a pretty close game all along. Uh, you know, the Bills didn't do anything exceptional. Um, the Browns didn't do anything exceptional. But I think it was a game that Baker Mayfield needed to have in that offense. He threw the ball for 238 yards, two touchdown passes. Um, nine catches by Jarvis Landry for 97 yards and a touchdown. That's such a Jarvis Landry stat line. It, it is, but that's what you need to win, right? Like Odell Beckham Jr. does not need to touch the ball 10 to 15 times to win a game for them, right? Uh, Nick Chubb had 116 yards rushing, and I will say it over and over again. The key to the Browns' offensive success is running the ball with Nick Chubb. Um, he's proved time and time again that when he runs effectively, they win games. So it's... Uh, it wouldn't be shocking for me to see Cleveland win quite a few games down the stretch because they don't have that great of a schedule. And if they can stick to their offensive um, strengths like they did in this game, I think they have a shot to, I, I wouldn't say necessarily contend in the AFC, but I think they have a shot to at least put up, um, you know, a somewhat better record than what they're sitting at right now at three and six. And then another big uh, AFC upset, the the Dolphins who, yeah, we'll take our lumps on this one. I joked uh, the Colts could start a dog at quarterback against and still win. Uh, beat the Colts with Brian Hoyer looking 
awful, throwing three interceptions. Um, and honestly, the Dolphins have some weapons, and, and we were talking about this, but Devontae Parker is this first-round talent, Devontae Parker, that, if I'm being honest, I've kind of been obsessed with since he got drafted? Not quite, but Devontae Parker is really starting to play well this year. Well, and we saw Preston uh, Preston Williams as well, and he went down. So they have quite a few players that, when healthy, have contributed quite well this year and have proven that they are um, they should be taken seriously. We know that it takes teams a while to get together. And one thing, uh, some good commentary I heard in that game was the Dolphins admitted that through the first few games of the season, they were all brand new players. It, was, it wasn't players that had been together all offseason necessarily. It was a lot of players that got shipped off and... Um, next man up that really didn't know how to play with each other so seeing them sort of build this chemistry this late in the season it seems sort of surprising that they're you know they're on a two-game winning streak right now but um, yeah internally they don't seem surprised it seems like you know what they understand now what they need to do to win it seems like their coaching is uh, is sinking in and the players are really starting to buy into this system which is sort of what we expected with Brian Flores that once he's able to set things up his way um, this team could be successful and yeah, they shut down a good Colts offense. No, they didn't have their starting quarterback in Jacoby Brissett, but um, still, they kept yeah they kept the Colts to uh, to not that many points and forced a lot of turnovers, which you need to win. So, finally, the the Steelers, who admittedly aren't as bad as some of the other teams on this list, um, it is weird. Every one in seven team in the league this year or this week managed to win. The Steelers weren't among those one in seven teams, but um, they. They managed to beat the Rams and honestly make their offense look pretty rough. Yeah, so, I mean, we've said it a couple weeks in a row now. The Steelers' defense is to be taken seriously. Um, I I don't know why it's a uh, that big of a surprise anymore. They have so many great players on that defense. We saw Minka Fitzpatrick getting the, like huge credit for the stat line that he's had since he's been traded from that the Dolphins. That trade actually looked, it looked pretty bad at first, but I think Minka has proven that he was worth more than a first-round draft pick. The Steelers won that trade. Yeah, they did, just by his production so far, right? It's, it's been um, clear that the Steelers went out and got themselves a player that really would contribute to their defense. TJ Watt is playing really well. Um, some of the other players that they have in that defense are playing really well as well and just meshing together as a unit. Um, they're calling for Mike Tomlin as coach of the year, really for turning this team that, um, you know, went through their offensive struggles of losing a, a starting quarterback that's, uh, you know, in, in the top tier of quarterbacks, I'd say. And yeah, they're really building themselves on this defense and they made the, the Rams look like nobody's this past week. So good for them. Um, we know the Rams have had their struggles this year. Uh, we know that they haven't really been consistent we know that jared goff doesn't play well on the road so that definitely plays into it but but okay you got to get the ball to some of your key playmakers cooper cup did not touch the ball once oh i know my fantasy team knows (laughs) you still beat me but (laughs) but it's it's that kind of thing that you look at and you go like really um not getting the ball to arguably the best receiver that they have on that roster it's a little bit of a surprise i know people are shocked that todd Gurley hasn't getting hasn't hasn't been getting the ball as much as he should be um, for the, the level of player he is. Um, that's a team that I'm, I'm really interested to to see how the rest of their season fares because it really doesn't look like they make the playoffs right now. And that's kind of a big shock. Um, the NFC is so talented right now. And if you actually look at the NFC seeding, um, so currently it's the 49ers, then it's the Saints, then it's the Packers, then it's the Cowboys, and then the wildcard teams are the Seahawks and the Vikings. Honestly, I can see any one of those teams going to the Super Bowl. And All of those teams are better than the Rams. 
and all of those teams are better than the Rams in more than just the standings. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm almost like, I, I can almost say with a hundred percent certainty that the Rams don't make the playoffs. And that's something that a year ago I would have never thought because everyone was praising McVay like crazy. Everyone was talking about how good this offense could be and that with another year, Jared Goff would get that much better. But, um, we've seen a regression if not anything else. And I do have to give credit where it's due. I have been a, a harsh critic of Mason Rudolph, um, but he played a great game. He actually looked like a competent NFL quarterback during that game. Nothing spectacular, but 242 yards and a touchdown. That was It was a clean stat line. He looked far better than he has, and, and it helped propel them to a win. Uh, some other wins that weren't upsets, but were definitely like big ones in regards to the standings. Uh, the Packers dropped the Panthers in, a, in what was a very tight game uh, with Christian McCaffrey getting stuffed essentially on the goal line to finish it. Yeah. And um, I mean, we talked about this last week that it was going to come down to uh, like, I I know we mentioned Lambeau field being an impact, right? That, that the Packers being back at home and uh, coming back home after that loss in LA, that it would be valuable for them. um, Yeah. To face this tough team at home. So the weather obviously played a factor there. Um, Actually the, the one big takeaway though, that I want to talk about is the fact that Kyle Allen sort of proved that he's, um, He's worthy of being considered a starting quarterback in this league. He, you know, a lot of guys in the Carolina locker room actually advocated that, like, look, he played really well out there for us. He was, um, he was a leader and he gave us a chance to be in that game and watching that game. It was, um, yeah, there were lots of points where you could see that like the Panthers should have made that more than just a a last play. Um, what am I trying to say? It, It felt like it should have been a lot closer than it actually ended up looking. Um, I mean, it, it did come down to the last play of the game. So it, it did come down to close. the last play of the game, but I'm saying it, it, it could have been more than that. Like, which is, they played well dumb. enough that it felt like they really could have won and not just by a small amount. Exactly. Like, like they threw a pick in the red zone. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. And just apparently can't get the words out today. But um, yeah, anyways, I'm as a, as a takeaway, I, I almost say that Carolina, uh, or we learned more about Carolina than we did about Green Bay in this game. I think this was a game Green Bay was expected to win and they did. But yeah, I'm impressed with Carolina. Another big win, uh, but this time by a very good team over a bad team. Uh, the the Baltimore Ravens destroyed the Cincinnati Bengals, and honestly, I think the biggest takeaway from this, if the there was 47 yard touchdown run, well, yeah, if there was any doubt left, uh, Lamar Jackson is special. He's different. He's not like anything in the league. He is the second coming of Mike Vick. That 47-yard touchdown run, if you haven't seen the highlight, go and find it. He puts on a Madden-like spin move on a player and just embarrasses him. I'm on the Lamar train so hard right now. He is just such a special talent. He can throw the ball well. He runs the ball better than most running backs. He's faster than most players in the NFL. What a great player, and what an awesome, awesome way for Baltimore to show that they belong in the conversation as a top-five team in the NFL right now. Yeah, and a lot of people have them as number one in the power rankings. So um, good for them, and, and they've proven it over the last couple of weeks. Uh, a win against Cincinnati isn't that impressive, no, but I mean... Statement win. Statement win with that many points. The win over the Patriots was enough. Um, that Yeah, that was really impressive, and it was a game that they deserved to win and should win in Cincinnati. So they did what they had to do there. Um, yeah, I, I'm really impressed with him, and I believe it was in a press conference today where... Uh, this being recorded on Wednesday, that they asked him on comparison, or the press asked him about comparisons to Mike Vick. And he said, look, I am who I am as a quarterback. I play my own game. That's who I am. And uh, we posted like 
that or we uh, we commented on Twitter. Like, yep, he's a one of a kind quarterback. That's who he is. Like great response by him. And the Baltimore Ravens actually liked that tweet. So putting a little plug in there that we're starting to get noticed by NFL teams. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, he's a one of a kind quarterback. And yes, you can compare him to Michael Vick, but he's got a lot of talent that he's continuing to show us on a weekly basis. Um, we're huge on this guy, and. Yeah, it'll be a really good matchup between them and Houston because Deshaun Watson is... Or no, sorry, that's who the comparison was. It wasn't Michael Vick, sorry, yeah, it was Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. Um, yeah, I didn't think I had that right. But anyways, yeah, it'll be really fun to watch those two players play against each other because they're both sort of that similar style. Both those electric young quarterbacks who um, the NFL will be built on for the next decade potentially. So Lamar's on a whole different level though. I would agree, but Deshaun Watson sort of has that electric vibe he around has him. The as escapability. Well. He's not the same scrambler. No, he's, no, he's no, really no, good no. in the like running around behind the line of scrimmage. He can run, but again, no one runs anywhere near what Lamar Jackson can do. No, but they're both in the MVP race. They both received a lot of attention this year. They've both made a lot of statement wins this year. Um, so yeah, that's why I put them in the same conversation. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to watch that game. Uh, that's one of the games I'm most excited for this week. One of the two games that everyone was really, really looking forward to going into this weekend was the, the Sunday night matchup between the Vikings and the Cowboys. Uh, we were just talking about statement wins. This was a big one for the Vikings to show, I mean, A, that Kirk Cousins can beat good teams. Um, in prime B, time. In prime time. And B, really just saying, yeah, no, this isn't a fluke. We are one of the best teams in the NFL. We just beat one of the best teams in the NFL. Like, everyone better be on watch. So there were two statements I felt that were really made in this game. Not even necessarily to do with Kirk Cousins. I think it was that Dalvin Cook deserves to be in the MVP race. Uh, I wouldn't argue for him as the winner right now, but I think watching him play, the impact he has every time he touches the ball and the way that everything just seems to, um, like everything seems to slow down when Dalvin Cook touches the football and just races through it. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And that's one of the, f I, I've watched a couple Viking games this year, but that was the first time where I actually had a chance to sit down and, and really pay attention to him Um just running through the, the Cowboys defense. That was really impressive. And then the second key takeaway I had is that Vikings defense is good. Um, they are good. And we can talk about that and know that in the NFC playoff race, that that defense will be a differentiator. But Dak was also super good against that defense. He put up 397 yards, passed for three touchdowns, one interception. Amari Cooper was making amazing toe-tapping plays on the sideline, including his touchdown that sort of looked like Santonio Holmes in the Super Bowl against uh, the Arizona Cardinals back in the day. Um, him and Amari seemed to really click. Michael Gallup had a touchdown. Randall Cobb had a touchdown. Um, Dak was looking really good and really impressive against that D with his ability to spread out the ball. Um, yeah, it, it was a great game for both sides to watch two great offenses duel it out. Um, and yeah, two, two statements that I took away were, were that anyways. Kyle Rudolph also made one of the nicer catches you'll ever see by a tight end. Beautiful one-handed snag. It looked like Cousins was just trying to throw the ball away and one hand up from Rudolph and, and snagged it for a TD. So that was that was a really exciting play. I was watching the game live and um, everybody in the room kind of freaked out when it happened. It was pretty great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not too often you see a tight end make that kind of catch. The last time I could think about a great tight end making a catch like that was... Gronk against the Broncos? Yep. Yes, that's sir. the first one that comes to mind. Um, but obviously the most exciting matchup of the week the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Man, the NFL just spoiled us this week. It's like they gave us so many great games and Sunday ends and you're like, wow, we just had one of the best NFL Sundays we've had in a long time. And then you realize the Monday night game is against two easily in the conversation for top five, top six teams in the league right now. And they made it so worth it. So I'm going to sound off here. Uh, 
The San Francisco 49ers are the better team. The San Francisco 49ers made countless mistakes. And yes, the Seahawks made mistakes too. We're not advocating that the 49ers were, um, you know, made the only mistakes in the game. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But Jimmy Garoppolo fumbled the ball twice. When you can't do that as a quarterback, it's not like it was stripped out of his hands. It was that he just wasn't carrying the ball securely. Uh, There were so many tip passes and passes that, you know, just were dropped by his receivers. And it was a really underwhelming performance by some of his receivers in the second half of that game. They were up 10-0 at one point. And due to mistakes, they let the Seahawks climb back into this game. They missed a field goal in overtime when they could have put the game away. Um, in my opinion, this was more a 49ers meltdown than it was a Seahawks win. And like Russell Wilson did not look great. Um, a small brag here. I said last week to sit him in fantasy because I had a con or I had a feeling some confidence that he was going to throw for, I believe I called 260 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Well, he actually threw for 232 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So my my predictions weren't too off. And like he did not have a great game. He did not have an MVP level game against that defense. And and I think the 49ers are the best team in the league. I think it's unquestioned. And as far as I'm concerned, the 49ers just need to prove on offense that they actually deserve to win these games and that they can win these games because their defense is so good. And yeah, if it wasn't for mistakes, they would have won this game. Daniel, I'm going to let you talk now, but I just needed to get that off my chest. The 49ers are better than the Seahawks. I think you made a really good point. The 49ers did melt down and they melted down against one of the best teams in the NFL and they still push the game to overtime. And well, that should show you just how good the San Francisco 49ers really are. That they can have a really ugly performance, but the mistakes can be covered, and they can actually bring this game to a place where they should have won. They picked off Russell Wilson in the red zone in overtime. That Russell Wilson doesn't throw red zone interceptions. And, and it was and a nice play by the defender as well. It wasn't it was, like it was an easy catch. But that's just not yeah. something Russell Wilson does. Yeah. They should have put the game away. They didn't. Jimmy Garoppolo in overtime, my goodness, two throws at least that he literally threw to the defenders. He should have lost them the game. They still managed to almost recover from it. Their field goal kicker misses that field goal that would have won the game. That went in the tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> Did was, you see that video? Oh, like It ended up in even, the tunnel. That was not even close. The And I, I, I'm not sure who to blame because the announcers right away were like, oh, the moment was too big for him. I saw someone on Twitter saying that the hold wasn't good. I don't know which is true, but... Uh, the guy made a beautiful kick to send the game to overtime. So I'm not going to say the pressure was too big. Something broke down in that field goal. But no, I have to agree. The 49ers are still the best team in football. Seattle is good. Don't get me wrong. They have put themselves in, in discussion, especially after that game. It, honestly, the best three teams in the league might be NFC teams. It might be the Niners, the Saints, and the and the Seahawks, top three in some order. Um, but the 49ers are still so, so dominant. Jimmy Garoppolo like actually showed that maybe he can play in those moments. Again, some dumb mistakes. He, he seemed kind of uncomfortable still, but he's showing that he's not, you know, the, the second coming of Joe Montana. He's not this incredible top tier elite quarterback, but he's not a game manager either. He, he really can play in big moments. Um, those, those running backs are, are still dominant. They weren't able to run as much because of how tough the game was and they pushed it to overtime even without them. But there were what, three defensive touchdowns in this game? Like, Sloppy, yes, but very fun to watch at the same time. Yeah, it was a thriller. Um, that's the only way you can really describe it. One last thing I want to call out. The Seahawks had uh, three scoring possessions, which were 87 yards total in length because the 49ers fumbled the ball often in their own territory. And I believe the one pick uh, Garoppolo threw allowed for a short field for the Seahawks as well. So not only did the 49ers commit turnovers, because yes, the Seahawks committed more turnovers, 
But the fact was that the 49ers actually gave the Seahawks a lot better position to climb back into the game because of where they fumbled the ball and where they threw the interception. So in my opinion, the 49ers, again, gave the Seahawks this game. I'll agree with Daniel. Absolutely. The Seahawks are the third best team in the league behind the Saints and the 49ers in some order. Um, But yeah, I don't believe that this win states that they are better than the 49ers. So argue with that if you will. Argue with us on Twitter. I, I will take it if they end up going further than the 49ers. But at this point in time, I think that win says more about the 49ers needing to improve than it says about the Seahawks being uh, better than the 49ers. So so with all those games to cover, uh, we're just going to quickly run through fantasy here. Don't want to don't want to spend too much time because, quite frankly, we're the furthest thing from fantasy experts. We're just working off of, of some basic football knowledge. But um, some big surprises this week that we saw, like we said, Derrick Henry had a great performance, 188 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, classic end of or like late season Derrick Henry performance. Darius Slayton goes off for 10 catches for 121 yards and two TDs. That was maybe looking like a breakout game for a talented player. Christian Kirk goes absolutely nuts with some of the prettiest throws that you'll ever see being thrown by Kyler Murray. Christian Kirk gets six for 138, three TDs. Yeah, um, all great performances. Uh, DJ Moore for Carolina had nine catches, 120 yards, um, no touchdowns. But if you have nine catches in the PPR league, uh, that, that'll most likely get you a pretty good score. Um, Greg Olson had, again, eight catches for 98 yards. Those high frequency catches are, are great. And eventually those will turn into touchdowns in later weeks. Um, Kyle Rudolph, not as many catches, but he had f- four receptions for 14 yards and two touchdowns, as well as a two point conversion. So if you happen to start him this week, which not too many people do anymore, um, you're pretty happy at the tight end position, which we've mentioned multiple times is quite a struggle. Um, having said that <laughs> struggle, um, there are a couple players who really kind of let the, you know, just drop the ball this week. So Aaron Rodgers uh, didn't play as bad as last week, but he had 233 yards passing and zero touchdowns. It's not too often that you see that kind of performance from Aaron Rodgers where he doesn't throw a touchdown. So a little bit of a disappointment if you're counting on him to get you the win. Uh, Jared Goff, 243 yards passing and two interceptions. So I think in our league, he had less than five points. Uh, Definitely not going to get you the win if you started him. Daniel, you have Cooper Cup on your roster. You're playing against me. He got zero points and you still managed to beat me. So, I mean, I think (laughs) it's more damaging to the Rams offense than it was to your fantasy lineup. Fair enough, fair enough. And then the last disappointment is Saquon Barkley, 13 carries for one rushing yard. He did have 30 yards receiving, but the rumors are that he wasn't able to... uh, to pick up as much on the ground because of the, the lingering shoulder injury that he might be going through right now, something along those lines. So, Well, you know, if there's any good news from that, though, Adam, it's something we can hold on to. Together in this room, we combined for only one less rushing yard than Saquon Barkley did on Sunday, and I think that's a pretty great achievement. Uh, but no, somebody did the math, and I think he had ended up averaging out, it's like two inches per carry or something. It's disgusting. Interesting. So if, if you and I got into an NFL game for one play, we could have had more <laughs> rushing yards on in our NFL careers than he did on that one day. So. And mostly end up, most likely end up dead from one hit, but we don't need to talk about hey, that Hey, we part. could just do a quarterback sneak. That's all we'd need. Just <laughs> <laughs> jump in there and take a quarterback sneak behind the Cowboys line because they're the really best want, line of I don't really want the 300 pounds over top of me. But anyways, <laughs> uh, some guys who we would maybe recommend taking a look at starting this week. Marquise Brown has had a, had a hot start to the season, missed a few weeks, but looks like he's really, really in rhythm with Lamar Jackson. He is a little bit touchdown dependent, but this game with Houston will turn into a game with a lot of touchdowns. So he's definitely worth a start. Um, from now on, if you don't have Pittsburgh's D and they're still uh, somehow in free agency, go pick them up and just start them. 
every week. Absolutely dominant. That team gets after quarterbacks. That team gets interceptions. That team is so, so good on defense. So they are a start this week and probably a start from here on out. Yeah, a couple sits that we want to recommend to you this week. Um, We know that Denver's pass defense is the fourth best in the league right now, believe it or not. So with the Vikings playing against this tough Denver D, um, we don't know who's going to get the receptions. We don't know if it's going to be Dalvin Cook that's going to get the majority of the the offensive workload. So we're recommending to sit Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Um, Adam Thielen is fighting through a bit of an injury right now as well, so we don't even know if he's going to play. But if he does play, we're going to say to be a little bit sensitive when it comes to these two guys and making sure that um, the matchup is right for them. Uh, Just because, yeah, you can't quite depend on their performance right now, especially against a good defense like that. Um, and then the other one that we have is uh, Allen Robinson against the, the Los Angeles Rams. We're saying to be a little bit skeptical there. Um, Daniel, do you have any more information about that one? I, I feel like I can just say two words, uh, Jalen Ramsey. And I think that's all you need to know. Allen Robinson's a number one, but he is not a upper echelon number one. Jalen Ramsey's going to absolutely shut him down. And, and Mitchell Trubisky is not a great quarterback. So Hey, Mitch Trubisky played really well against the Lions defense. So is that more of a wow, the, statement of the, the Lions defense? In the league. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned there. <laughs> Yeah. With that being said, it's time for our divisional breakdown. I think this is the time where Adam and I kind of get to have the most fun uh, during these podcasts. And we are in the division of our favorite team. We promise not to be too crazy about, about fangirling over the Patriots. Um, and for, for tradition's sake and also for all of your sake, we are going to start at the bottom of the division, which, shockingly enough, after this week, is no longer the Miami Dolphins. Currently in last place in the AFC East, we are talking about the New York Jets. So raise your hand right now if you thought that this would be the case after nine weeks, having seen the first few weeks, or sorry, 10 weeks now. I thought this could have been a 10-win team. The New York Jets. I did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just going to get at the point that who would have thought the Dolphins would be ahead of the Jets in the standings after week one and week two where the Dolphins got demolished back-to-back weeks. Um, but yeah, the New York Jets are in last place in the AFC East, and that's the way it is. Sam Darnold is uh, a strong quarterback. We still believe in him and um, obviously doesn't have the best situation right now. Le'Veon Bell is a great player who he's not behind that great of an offensive line anymore. He's not in Pittsburgh where they, they built themselves on a solid offensive line. Um, they have Robbie Anderson, who's a somewhat inconsistent number one receiver. I don't know, Daniel, what your thoughts are on him as a receiver. Um, they have a couple other weapons too, but this team is just not a threat. Their defense is actually really good though. Their defense, um, maybe not statistically, but if you look at that defense, they've got such a stud lineup. Um, they have Tremaine Johnson, they have Jamal Adams and and we both Tremaine Johnson hasn't been no, but a, a guy who should be performing. His, his name is big, but he is a guy who should awful. be performing. That's what yeah. I'm trying to get at, right? Like they have guys that should be performing and that have proven that they can perform in the NFL. Um, Jamal Adams, who I think should be considered one of the best safeties Maybe in the league. Maybe the best at this point. Yeah, he he's just—he's absolutely fantastic. He—he he stole the ball from Daniel Jones, literally pulled it right out of his hands, and scored a touchdown this past week. Um, I think that the the Jets should have a lot of optimism. Uh, they have C.J. Mosley in the linebacking crew. Um, if he can stay healthy. Yeah, if he can stay healthy. But again, like I, I think uh, they have a great defensive coordinator in Greg Williams. Uh, say what you will about him as a, as a human being, but we've seen some of the teams that he's been able to turn around and make into strong defenses. Um, I'm kind of baffled that this team has the record they have because I, I think that they're a lot better on paper and they should be a lot better um, than their record currently shows. So I feel like this is a statement to so much of what Adam and I have beat the drum for on this podcast so far. Football Outsiders has the Jets' offensive line 
31st in run blocking and 31st in pass blocking. They are terrible. Le'Veon Bell, honestly, when he has a line that lets him be a patient runner, will rip off five yards of carry no problem. He will make plays out of the backfield. Uh, but not when you can't block anybody. It, it makes him pretty much ineffective. Ineffective? Goodness, what is that word? But Ineffective. Yeah. Ineffective, thank you. Because of how patient he is. And if he cannot even get holes open that he can wait for, this is what you end up. 3.1 yards per carry. It's ugly. Only two touchdowns on the season. It's ugly. Sam Darnold, okay. Stats don't look great. Seven touchdowns, nine picks. But... A lot of that came from the Patriots game. He is still a solid quarterback. In regards to Robbie Anderson, kind of a one-trick pony, just a deep threat. Um, it probably would have been good for New York to move him at the trade deadline for some value. But, I mean, like you were saying, Adam, they have pieces to build around. I, I do believe in Sam Darnold. I think Jamal Adams is likely the best safety in football, if not in that top two, top three conversation. Ty Montgomery never really turned into any kind of amazing game-breaking player, but he, he can make plays. He's only 27 years old. Jamison Crowder is another guy who can make some plays when you need him to. Their receiving core actually is pretty strong when you just look at the names. Um, the Jets have, have had a bad go. They, they lost their starting quarterback at a bad time, and um, their defense has kind of underperformed with their name value. You have the 30th ranked offense for points, the 25th defense for points allowed. It's been a rough season, and I think the Jets will be happy to take a high draft pick and um, hopefully use some of the picks they've they've picked up in different trades and, and start to kind of retool this roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were ready to start making uh, a run at the playoffs in the next couple of seasons. So I'm just going to ask the question because this is what I do every single no, time. They just said today that Adam Gase's job is secure. That's a good decision. Good on the Jets for not being stupid. When do I believe owners? when <laughs> the decision has been made to the point where we can actually see that Adam Gase is not fired next year. I'll believe that he won't get fired until next season is over. That's when I'll believe that he won't be fired next year. Um, do you actually, okay, I don't, I don't know if you're just kidding, but like, do you actually think that he stays there with them next year? I do. Yeah, I, I think some owners are kind of on the same page as me where I think you just give head coaches a little more time. You give your young QBs a little more time and you let them prove that they can pan out. I know fans are always in a win-now mentality, but when teams end up in that mentality, they end up being bad for a long time. This is New York. That's all I'll say. I don't necessarily agree that Adam Gay should be fired either. Um, he is a different sort of coaching personality, so I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure if he'll be a coach that allows them to get to the playoffs like you're sort of suspecting. But, um, yeah, it's New York, and we see a lot of rash decisions made in New York that aren't necessarily agreeable um, or that, not necessarily everyone would agree with in that position. So that's yeah. why I bring it up. Not necessarily do I agree with it. No, I, um, I have this team um, pretty much repeating their record in the second half here. I think, unfortunately, I, I do think for Jets fans that this is where they're going to end up in this division. I think they finished the season 4-12, and 12, uh, losing, like taking fourth place in the AFC East. So that would mean by default that you have the Miami Dolphins in third place, right? Yeah, 5-11. and 11. I think... It looks to me like they actually are getting hot right now. If Preston Williams was still healthy, they actually would, would really be pushing on offense to score some points. But their their schedule down the rest of the road is not super, super difficult. They play um, the Bills, who are looking a little weak. They play the Browns, who who really knows what they are. They play the Jets. They play the Giants. They play the Bengals. I could see them winning enough games to finish 5-11 and 11 there. So we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, and this is something I really want to stress. Brian Flores is a good coach. We saw this in New England, um, especially with Daniel and I being people that are very knowledgeable when it comes to New England personnel. We know who Brian Flores is. We know the success that he's had with the Patriots while he was there. 
we believe in him as far as it, or I'm talking for myself now, but I think I'm also speaking for Daniel to some extent. When Brian Flores actually has the chance to build this team, which it sort of seems like is coming together right now, I think the Dolphins will actually be a good team in this division. So obviously not this year, but um, I, I'm interested to see how this team is built in the future. Their quarterback is, position is still a, a position of instability. Um, they probably finish out the st- season with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't see why they would change directions now. Um, I don't know why Josh Rosen would come in now, but um, if they're tanking for Tua, I don't know what they're doing there. But r- regardless, I think that they've got the draft capital to be good next year. Um, this year's a little bit irrelevant. You say that they finish with a 5-11 record. Whatever the case is there, um, I'm more looking out for the future and thinking that this team will be good. And um, They've got some solid pieces to, to build on. And... Um, yeah, like what you're talking about, especially their offense is good. Their defense will almost likely be there with, with the draft capital that they have. So um, that's all I can really say about the Dolphins at this point in time. I think it's more a future outlook and the season's sort of over for them. Yeah, this this team, like really, they have been terrible. That's That's the honest truth. The last couple of weeks, they've looked a little better, but you start to look at their stats and you realize just how bad it's been. Um, Adam, if you had to guess off the top of your head, how many yards per carry Kalen Balaj is averaging? Where would you go? 2.3. 2.1. So you were Woo-hoo-hoo. close, but it's horrendous. Mark Walton's had a little more on about the same amount of carries. He's getting 3.8 yards per carry, um, but they can't run the football, and, and that has to do, again, with a bad offensive line. Football acts outsiders, 30th-ranked um, rushing offensive line. Just brutal. Um, but they have some guys who've shown potential. You know, Mark Walton was a talented player who off the field stuff has been an issue more than talent, and, and he could still develop into something. Um, you have Devontae Parker, who still has first-round pedigree. Looks like maybe he's starting to figure out how the playing in the NFL thing works. Jakeem Grant is mad fast and can be used as an offensive weapon in the right situations. Um, I don't think Josh Rosen is the future. I think they'll probably be looking for a QB in this draft, but there's a lot of good ones. I mean, even if the Bengals get first overall and take Tua which at this point I think, and whatever, maybe this is an overreaction from that LSU-Alabama game, I think Burroughs is the best QB in this draft, and whoever gets him will, will be really excited to have a player of his caliber. Um, you know, some weird moves by the Dolphins this year. Why do you trade away Minka Fitzpatrick? I don't care that you get a first-round draft pick for him. You don't trade away star players in the NFL for one draft pick. That was a really, really dumb move. Um, they do still have some decent players on their on their defense. Christian Wilkins was a, I believe, a first round draft pick this year. Yeah. Um, Charles he had, Harris. Yeah, like Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan. They have guys who can make plays. Smaller names. We we talked about Xavier Howard when he got injured, and the fact that he is one of the better corners in football. He led the league in interceptions last year. He is a ball hawk. They they have good players. They don't have a lot of them. Uh, in fact, they have very few actual good players. They have a lot of potential. Um, but they're a team that, yeah, like Adam said, if if Brian Flores can really start to build this team, and, and again, this patience thing, if if the owner will have, if Stephen Ross will let him stay around for long enough to really start to build this team, they won't be successful next year or the year after, but but a couple of years down the road, uh, this team should have some weapons in place to, to really push in this division. Definitely. And again, if you're a Dolphins fan, um, again, we're not talking about your team necessarily this year, but we're giving you hope for the future. And uh, take it from Patriots fans. We know that Brian Flores is the real deal and that he'll be, um, if not anything else, he'll at least establish a team that you're confident in on a weekly basis and you're not ashamed of. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to watch them in the next co- couple years. Um, they're definitely uh, yeah, going to be an interesting franchise to keep an eye on. Um, an interesting team that we wouldn't have necessarily 
predicted they would be where they are right now is the Buffalo Bills. Um, they're currently sitting at a record of six and three. And again, we mentioned that they sort of had a weird loss this past week to the Browns, but they they were six and two <laughs> last week. And um, I would have never predicted that through nine weeks of the season. Um, so yeah, seeing them at six and three is a little bit more humbling, but sound, six, the sound of six and two is a lot better than six and three, which is why I bring that up. Um, so their losses to Cleveland, to New England, and oh gosh, who was the third team there? Can't seem to remember that right now. But anyways, um, they've played well. Uh, they, you know, they have a, a decent offense. Josh Allen is playing not terrible this year. Their defense is obviously the focal point of their team. Daniel, what are your thoughts on on them overall? Yeah, so Philadelphia was the one loss that you could Thank remember, you. Yep. And, and they're not a bad football team. So I mean, it's not horrible, but. Um, they're kind of a, a one-sided team. The third-ranked defense, but the 25th-ranked offense for points. Um, Josh Allen is good, not great. Uh, I'll give it to him. I thought that he was the worst QB in the draft last year, and, and Buffalo picked him when I thought they probably should have taken Rosen. And, oh boy, have I been wrong, because Allen has been a far better player than Rosen. Um, they signed both John Brown and Cole Beasley, I believe, this year in free agency, right? Yeah, I think so. And those have both panned out really, really well. John Brown looks like he actually is a number one, a low-end number one, but a number one nonetheless. And Cole Beasley is one of the better slots in football, and those two have both had some pretty solid production. Very quietly, yeah. Yeah, very, like, and nothing crazy special. They're not like top players by any means, but but it's a good one-two punch out there. Um, uh, Frank Gore is timeless, it seems. He just keeps producing as he needs to. They're really getting Devin Singletary involved, and he is averaging 6.4 yards a carry at the moment. I, I dropped him in fantasy uh, because it's a keeper league and I'm having to start looking forward to next year and who I can actually keep. So it kind of hurt me to do that because he's a great player. And I, I really think that, you know, Buffalo has found themselves a, a good running back in him who can be um, kind of the guy of the future. Defensively, obviously, they're, they're dominant. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, Edmonds was their first round pick this year, and he's, he's been really, really good. Good corners, Tredavious White, good safety, and Micah Hyde. Um, Tredavious White. Tredavious White. Yeah, exactly. Jerry Hughes has been a good pass rusher throughout his career. Not not amazing this year. Two and a half sacks, but I mean, that's fine. Ed Oliver, first round pick, was absolutely dominant at Houston, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, I have no doubt that he'll be able to continue that in the NFL. He had similar comparisons to uh, Aaron Donald. Yeah. So this is, this is a really good, a really young defense that is going to continue to develop. Um, you know, I don't like that they're in the Patriots division. When the Patriots played them, they really were only a play or two away from, from a loss. Buffalo really could have won that game. So, you know, this is this is a football team that looks like this is going to be some sustained success. I do, honestly, at this point, with their schedule down the stretch, um, and there's going to be a lot of people potentially upset at me at this, I have them going 9-7. and seven. I think that Browns loss was kind of the start of a potential meltdown, but I don't think that says what I think about the team in the future. I do think they're good, but I just think with the pl- the teams they have to play throughout the rest of the season um, and the way that they played against the Browns, I think 9-7 and seven is where they'll finish this year, but I very well could be wrong. So I just want to read some names off, and, and Daniel mentioned a few of these, but I just want to emphasize um, from a name value what this defense is all about. So they have Star Latui. I believe he was a first-round pick of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. So pretty big name. They have Jordan Phillips, who I, I, I recognize that name as well and, and know he's had a couple good seasons. They have Jerry Hughes. They have Shaq Lawson, who I also believe was a first-round pick. Um, they have Tremaine Edmonds, who Daniel mentioned. They have Lorenzo Alexander, Tredavious White. They also have Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde uh, as safeties. So um, even if you don't follow football that much, if you've watched at least one Buffalo game, you've been able to see that those players make a lot of plays on a weekly basis. So 
um, to give them the, the name value um, or to give that defense the, the credit it deserves for putting together a, a list of players that are, you know, that have that um, strong of recognition. Um, yeah, I felt that they deserve the credit of actually having their names read. So very good defense, and, and that's the foundation of their team. Their offense isn't necessarily going to get them wins, which is something that we can say about a lot of different teams. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with Daniel's prediction here, thinking that they go 9-7 and because their offense isn't going to get them those wins down the stretch. But, yeah, they've got a good defense to build on, and if their offense can improve, again, I think that they'll have the ability to contend with some of the other teams in this division. Okay, here we go. New England Patriots. Under five minutes? Over under, do you think we do it? I'm talking once, and then I'll let you say whatever you want. So here's the deal. Um, Best defense in the NFL right now. They have shown a little bit of weakness over the last few weeks, but they have done nothing to make me believe that they're going to melt down. Listen to this stat. Uh, 2019 opponents passing on attempts of 21-plus yards in the air. So against New England, teams are 5 of 44 for 192 yards, one touchdown, and seven picks for a total passer rating of 13.3. You don't throw deep on this defense. Stephon Gilmore, best corner in the league. Uh, Devin McCourty, actually a really solid safety, even as he's getting up there in years. Um, Offensively, Tom Brady, timeless. Greatest quarterback of all time. Julian Edelman, playing really, really well for his age. Running game, horrendous. Every time they hand the football off, I get mad because they can't run the ball. Has to do with some injuries. Um, Bringing in Mohamed Sanu was huge. Philip Dorsett is, is a fine Number three, probably. They don't really have a tight end. Um, but yeah, this team is good. As always, they're a potential Super Bowl threat. Um, just their defense, yeah, so good. The name's on it. Jamie Collins is playing out of his mind. Kyle Van Noy is, is quietly one of the better linebackers in football. Um, even their their backup corners, or not backup, but their corners beyond Stephon Gilmore, Jason McCourty, Jonathan Jones, JC Jackson, they're all good players. With that being said, I think they will lose another game this season. I have them at 14-2. and two. They're a good team. I am done. So my turn. Um, I've been a Patriots fan all my life, and the foundation of that has been Tom Brady as their quarterback. I know that when they have Tom Brady as their quarterback, they know how to win games. Um, they play a really tough schedule. They play the Eagles next, um, and then down the stretch they have the Cowboys, the Texans, the Chiefs, and the Bills. Um, so those are all teams that we've talked about quite often on the podcast here over the last couple of weeks as teams that any week can knock off strong opponents. So I'm not necessarily 100% confident that the Patriots will get through that and necessarily pull out wins over all those teams. We've seen that the Patriots' defense can win them games, and we know that a lot of that had to do with playing against bad opponents. I'm not willing to go out and say that they're the best defense in football right now. I would say that you'd have to put them behind the 49ers' defense. Um, people might disagree with that, but as far as I'm concerned, the Patriots' defense was beneficial. Uh, sorry, benefiting because of weak competition. They're still a great defense, absolutely, but on paper they might look better uh, just because of who they played. Um, yes, I'm a big fan of a lot of the, the names that they have on that defense. Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, um, Jamie Collins. They have Adam Butler, Lawrence Guy, a lot of guys on the defense that are contributing in um, small roles, but that are all putting together that, that level of contribution that they need from a defensive perspective. They need to get their running game in order, and down the, the second half of this stretch here, they really need to put uh, put together some offensive wins. A lot of their wins have been defense, defensive-based wins, and their offense needs to start showing that they can win games for them as well. So that's the challenge that I think the Patriots have, is their offense actually winning them some games. Um, I think it'll be built on the running game. We saw this down the stretch with their, their playoff run last year, that they started to depend on Sony Michelle. Their offensive line was in a lot better state last year than it is right now, too. 
So um, I think if the Patriots can run the ball effectively, they can run the table. If they can't, it'll be a, a more interesting playoff stretch for a team that we've seen in the Super Bowl the last three years. So that right, is our breakdown years, of the more. AFC no. East. I hope that, you know, we didn't fanboy too hard over the Patriots for all of you. Adam, why don't you take us through some of the tweets of the week? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I didn't necessarily watch the whole video, so I can't talk about it too in depth. But something that we saw quite a few times on our social media feed was John Harbaugh going up to Lamar Jackson in that game against Cincinnati and saying, like, you are the the quarterback. Like, you are, or sorry, you are the quarterback that kids are going to aspire to be. You are the next best. You are a unique quarterback and um you never really see that a head coach really applauding a player like this um in a game we see a lot of coaches that like to keep their players humble don't necessarily like them to to buy into the ego of being one of the best players in the league but to see john harbaugh go up and do that to lamar jackson i think it's just it's special and um lamar jackson is absolutely one of the best quarterbacks in the league with the way he's playing right now i was really happy about that um the second one was more of a joke um the Dak Prescott hip movements. So I don't even know how to get into this. I, we just recently got Twitter or sorry, not Twitter, TikTok. And uh, yeah, we'll make a plug at the end of the podcast for you to connect with us on TikTok. But watching the amount of videos about Dak dancing and his hip twist and whatever the heck you want to call that, that was so much fun for us on, on Twitter and TikTok, just seeing the music people put it to. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite funny. We really enjoyed that. So that stuck out to us as something that was going to be memorable from this week. And I think didn't uh, Nick Bosa in pregame warmups was doing it. And like, he was it, sort of mocking it. it. Jimmy Garoppolo was, was too. It was yeah. very funny. I I love when NFL players kind of get mocked for some of their weird pregame stuff. But um, this was another uh, a bad week for our, our clues. And I think if we're proving anything, it's that um, when we have to make quick takes without a lot of time to think through them, our records aren't great. I am currently sitting at eight and nine. Adam is nine and eight. So here we go with our three clues for this week. So Adam, will the Texans beat the Ravens in Baltimore? No, I think that Baltimore is proving that they're far too hot right now, especially at home. Um, we talked about Marquise Brown being a good start this week in fantasy. I think Baltimore is able to expose the Texans weak passing defense. And I don't think Deshaun Watson and the Texans can keep up. I am also going with no. Uh, Baltimore's too hot. Lamar Jackson is too good. It's going to be a really, really, really good game. It's so unfortunate that it's a one o'clock game on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be just explosive and so so fun to watch. Second one: Will the Falcons beat the Panthers to maintain their current momentum? No. Um, as much as I preach that the Falcons won this game because it was a, or won the game against the Saints because it was a divisional battle. Um, obviously this is a divisional battle as well. I think that the Panthers are going to have a little bit of notice what they did to the Saints last week. And the Panthers are going to come out hungry. Um, they're going to feed the ball to Christian McCaffrey. They're going to get the ball to some of their playmakers like they did uh, against Green Bay. I think this is another week where Kyle Allen proves that he's a deserving starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think the Panthers pull off the win here. I think we got a Falcons win coming up. I, uh, I like the divisional matchup. Their defense played really well against a very, very efficient Saints team. Um, it, it does kind of feel like a toss-up, but I think the Falcons have a real shot in this one. And finally, will the Steelers chase down Baker Mayfield for at least four sacks on Thursday night? I think this is a given. I think, uh, you know, Cleveland's offense is, I, I mean, it's it's sort of a mess as we talked about. They're, they're starting to improve, starting to run the ball more with Nick Chubb, but I think it's almost, yeah, it's almost uh, 100% certainty that the Steelers can go and chase down Mayfield four times for at least four sacks. I think... Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that that'll be the case. What about you? 
It, it is hard because four is a lot, but that defense has just been playing so, so, so well the last little bit. Uh, TJ Watt is is a monster. Like, goodness, he, he is showing to be not quite as dominant as his brother was, but definitely one heck of a defensive player in his own right. Um, but four is a lot, and even though my gut tells me to go with yes for the sake of trying to pull out uh, over top of Adam here, I think I got to go with no and just, and just hope to get it. So I'll go with no for this one. Um, but like we said at the beginning, we want to just quickly, before we conclude, tell you three of our favorite offenses to watch. Um, we did this last week with players to say, hey, go watch some highlight reels. And now we want to do it with offenses who, you know, if your team's on a bye week or if um, you're watching football on a time slot that your team isn't playing and to have a chance to, be, to go watch a team that'll just have a really, really fun game to watch how their offense performs. So Adam, why don't you get us started? For sure. So I'll be pretty brief. Um, I, I like the Oakland Raiders. Um, they were prime time last week against the Sandy or the <laughs> Los Angeles Chargers. Gosh, Josh Jacobs is a great running back. A lot of fun to watch. If you like watching great running backs and especially young running backs that are up and coming, he's going to be a fun one to watch for years to come. Um, Derek Carr is a great quarterback too. I think a lot of people don't give him the credit he's de- he deserves, and he's had a, a pretty quiet, quietly good year this year. Um, he's a fun quarterback to watch. They actually have some weapons around him too in the passing game. Darren Waller has emerged as a, a great tight end, proving very effective in quite a few games this year. They've got Tyrell Williams, who came on quite strong for the Chargers last year and moved to the Raiders in free agency. Um, yeah, we've seen that they've been playing quite well. Hunter Renfro starting to get in, involved in their pass game. He was a, a great receiver at Clemson. So this is a, a team that's full of young guys that are starting to come together and I think can contend for that division. So that's one for me. What about you, Daniel? Who's your first team? Yeah, I'm going to start with the New Orleans Saints. Um, and this is honestly because this was a player that I wanted to say last week, but just couldn't really fit it well onto my list of three. Taysom Hill makes the Saints so fun. For those of you who don't know, Taysom Hill just kind of plays every position. Uh, in his career, he has a rece- like some receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, passing touchdowns. He has a blocked punt. He's played a little bit of defense. He just does everything. And so um, I like unconventional offense. I like seeing um, a team that, that knows how to use the talent they have. So Alvin Kamara is so good. Michael Thomas is maybe the best receiver in the league, probably the best receiver in the league. Um, so when you throw all that together with just this weird gadget player who came out of nowhere, it makes the whole offense just really, really um, surprising. And you get to see some plays that you would never see, like a quarterback handing off to a quarterback. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, he made a nice throw, though. Michael Thomas had a toe tap just this last week, and it was shocking to see a guy who doesn't have that many throws a game deliver that nice of a pass. But um, with my second offense that I really love to watch, it's the Minnesota Vikings. And you, you probably saw why on Sunday Night Football. Um, like I said, I don't get to watch a whole heck of a lot of Viking games. They often overlap with Patriots, but just watching Delvin Cook run. I love that traditional offense where the quarterback drops back between 30 and 35 times a game. And they also run the ball with the same running back around 20 to 25 times a game. Delvin Cook is that back that can touch the ball on any play and turn it into a touchdown. I love watching that. Um, Kirk Cousins may not be your traditional drop back quarterback that you're proud to watch every week or that you're confident to watch every week and say he's a great quarterback but with weapons around him like Adam Thielen like um, Stefan Diggs and some of the other players that they have developing uh, we know Kyle Rudolph isn't a big name anymore but he's he's sort of playing well Irv Smith Jr. who they drafted this year um, yeah they're a really fun offense to watch and give them a chance if you haven't watched too many of their games they're uh, yeah they're they're fun to watch on a weekly basis especially when playing a good defense Yeah, I have a kind of a similar offense in mind. The 49ers, I love a team that knows how to run the football, and the 49ers do that better than anybody right now. Um, Well, these better than anyone who doesn't have Lamar Jackson playing quarterback, but just to see an offense willing to to punch you in the mouth over and over and be successful in it is 
old school football and it's really cool to see and it's not like they don't have any weapons besides their running backs i mean emmanuel sanders is there now george kittle's the best tight end in football almost certainly at this point when he's healthy so um, they're they're a team that i love watching i love seeing matt Breida's speed i love seeing that three-headed monster at tailback with uh Breida and tevin coleman and, and raheem mostert and again just a great old school fullback who can block and and catch and just make plays he was blocking the ends in this past week i don't know if you saw that but they were actually like letting the the tackle go and kind of yeah kind of fade out and they're actually letting use block the end which was kind of a shocking uh shocking to see in that game um but my third offense that i'm going to go with is staying in that division i love watching the la rams and this year is sort of a disappointment but especially last year um, when they were playing a lot better um, todd Gurley was a lot more involved in their offense robert woods was a pleasure to watch in their offense cooper cup came out of nowhere and emerged as the top receiver on their team brandon cooks obviously they have tight ends in gerald everett and um, Tyler Higby that, you know, contribute on a semi-regular basis. Um, Jared Goff is not a great quarterback. He does need to step up and play to the level that he should be as a number one overall pick. But when that offense is playing well, the way that they feature um, their assets in their offense, the way McVay uses them, um, they're a super fun offense to watch when they're hot and when they're getting the ball to the playmakers. For my third one, I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, read option. It's college-style offense, and I love it so much. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have just been so blown away by the the consistent support that we've had, Um, just a shocking amount of listens, and we appreciate it so much. Um, Yeah, we just want to ask that that if you're enjoying what you're hearing, that you would leave a a rating and a review, that you would subscribe so that you could hear each episode as they come out. If you could follow us on our social media, at GoalLineFade on Twitter, but replace that I with a a one. Adam, what about our uh, TikTok? Our TikTok is the Goal Line Fade Podcast. So yeah, if you could follow us on social and I mean, if you really want to help support us, if you could retweet our podcast links when we send them out on Thursday, we'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. The NFL has been great this year and we've loved getting to break it down, but we will see you all next week.